This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We are starting a brand new series called Sexy. Uh, we did, in our first year, we did a series called Sexy. And um, I think that that's, it, it was just so surprising to me how that series landed in the hearts of our people. Um, I, I think that when we think about the truth that God created us, male and female, that he created two genders, two sexes, and that in that there is a design and a purpose in that, that God has hidden something that's powerful and uh, intuitive for us. And so uh, we're bringing sexy back. <laughs> All right, for another go around, and I'm I'm really excited about this series. I I feel like it's um, something that needs to be talked about. Now I don't know if you've uh, been around, but we are completing today, uh, coming out of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so uh, many of you gave up something for the past 21 days, and this is the day to uh, kind of bring it back in and to enjoy that again. And so for me, it was. Uh, I, we did a modified Daniel fast, and so I have not had caffeine, uh, and so I am pretty, pretty stoked right now, right? Because <laughs> I had uh, a lot of coffee this morning. I might just end up talking way too fast uh, throughout this. And so let me just, if you're the person that was fasting and praying with us for the last 21 days, let me just give you uh, a question. What did you learn? What'd you learn? What'd you, what'd you learn from it? See, here's, here's the, the problem with many of us is that we go through experiences, but we never ask, what do I take away from this? What, what, what is my takeaway? And so my question for you, kind of as you process your fast for the next few days, is going to be this question, what did I learn? What did I learn about myself? What did I learn about my heart? Remember, last year I told you one of the things that I learned in the caffeine headache in the first two or three days was that if you always say yes, then you're not really free. Right? If every time I'm offered coffee, I say yes to it, I'm really in bondage to coffee. <laughs> All right? And so I need to live in the freedom. And so what did you learn? There were things that I learned this year. I really feel like this was a profound season of 21 days. Uh, a lot of things have, have shifted and God has moved. And I am very, very thankful for that. Now, when we get into the, the conversation that kind of surrounds this series uh, I think it's important to go back to when Scripture begins to describe the creation of man, which is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. All right. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Now, there are a few things that I want you to pick up out of that passage. The first one is that we are all, every single one of us, image bearers of God. 
We are all image bearers of God. And when we realize that every human, and this is just a tad bit of information that I think we all need to hear from time to time. The word Adam in the Hebrew, when translated literally into English, means human. That every human was created in the image of God. It should radically reshape how we treat people. It should change how you treat that woman in front of you in the grocery line who can't find her credit card. All right? Or the guy in front of you that keeps pumping the brakes over and over and over again. And you get frustrated, but he was made in the image of God. Or the person that lives down the street that's so different than you. That was made in the image of God. Or the person that looks different than you that was made in the image. It should change the way we treat each other when we realize that everyone is an image bearer. We were all created in the image of God. But here's what this verse contains, which is something that we don't talk about a whole lot. That we individually do not completely reflect the image of God. How could we as finite human beings reflect the image of an infinite God? When our capacity is limited, our judgment is limited, our perspective is limited, how in the world could we reflect the image of a perfect, unlimited God? We can't. And in that verse, it gives us a clue as to how God created humanity to reflect his image. And it's really found in this simple truth that it's in the complementary natures of men and women that God's image is reflected. The complementary natures, the, the difference between a man and a woman complements together to present to humanity the image of God. Now, I realize that what we're going to talk about kind of steps into some cultural tension. Not only would that be true here in North Carolina, where since we did this five years ago, there's been all kinds of issues around who can use what bathroom and dressing room and all kinds of stuff, where the issues of man and woman have surfaced Okay, but I would tell you this, that there's a tension between the world's and the world and the word's perspective. This is a broad issue. There's a, a tension between what the world says is true and what the Bible says is true. This is true when it comes to your money. All right. The world says it's your money. God says, no, it's my money and I've given it to you to manage. God tells us that relationships are to be managed through covenant and commitment. And the, the world says, no, they're to be managed through contract and negotiation. This is a tension that's broad. But the tension is, and I don't think has ever been more present than in the terms of man and woman. As a matter of fact, I would say that we live in a culture where male and female are fluid terms. What it means to be male and what it means to be woman or female is fluid. As a, you could sit down 
with 10 different guys and ask them, what does it mean to be a man? And get 10 different answers. You could sit down with 10 different women and ask them, what is the core values of the heart of a woman? And you would get 10 different answers. When the truth is, is that if we went back about 150 years ago, there would be a much broader consensus. The words were not fluid. They were much more fixed and firm. So there are some common cultural thoughts that I just want to kind of elevate as we begin this conversation around the ideas of male and female. And again, these are what culture would say. This is how culture would approach this. And it begins with this statement that men and women are equal. Men and women are equal. Beginning in the the 20s with women's suffrage and the push in the United States for equal representation, equal rights to vote. Uh, through the last well over 100 years, the push has been for equality. Let me just stand up and say, I'm going to say this again later in the message, but we believe in equality. We believe that God loves men and women equally. Okay? But the progression culturally has worked this way, that men and women, because we're equal, we must possess the same innate nature and skills. Because we're equal, we really, on the inside, must be similar, the same. And so the logical outworking of this has become that men and women are essentially the same with basic physical differences. which is a straight-up lie. A straight-up lie, okay? I, I want you to understand that. That that is a, a lie that has been propagated throughout our culture. And what I'd like to do is just kind of take a few moments and, and talk about solid research that talks about the differences that exist between men and women. Uh, the last time I did this, I focused um, on, on some different ones. So this time I kind of went back and found 10 different ones. And the first one is that men and women see differently. We see differently. As a matter of fact, when I went through this the first time in the first series, if you go back five years and listen through those messages, I talked about the fact that out of all the five senses, the only one that males even, even have a chance at accelerating or beating a female in is sight. But it's only direct sight, not peripheral sight. Women dominate men in peripheral sight, all right, which is why they can see out of the corners of their eye everything you're doing. All right. Women's women in their in their uh, brains, it, it appears based on research, are designed to recognize objects, as opposed to men, whose brains correlate more with movement. Which is why, in a study, they found out that it is much younger for young girls, especially toddlers to infants to recognize faces, they recognize faces much quicker than boys do because the female mind is wired more for objects while the, the male mind is wired more for movement. Number two, females can hear dramatically better than men, okay? And this is not simply the fact that you told your husband to do something and he didn't do it and he says, I didn't hear you. 
I don't remember you telling me that. Okay, based, based on a study, okay, when they went through, this is not just simple audible hearing. This is what you hear when you hear. That the capacity of the female mind to pick up the nuances of inflection is so much higher than the male's mind. Which is why women can understand when someone says, I'm fine, but they're not fine. I'm good, but I'm not good. They hear it, especially on a level that men don't. Number three, females can verbally express their emotions better than men. This is why, ladies, when your husbands come home and you say, how was your day? They go, it's good. And then he goes, okay, how was your day? And 30 minutes later, you're still telling him, like everything that happened all day long, right? Because females can verbally express their emotions better than men. Number four, females are easier to startle. Females are easier to startle. This is actually... Um, what they called the scary stimuli study. What they did, this sounds horrible, but they wired people to electric shock probes. And their, their measurement was in the dark, what voltage did it take to startle them? And the male capacity to take the electric voltage was much higher than the woman's. Number five. Males are more likely to overestimate their own abilities. <laughs> How many of y'all know that's true? <laughs> this was actually a workplace study. What they found is that in the workplace, men would promise on their next day's work over 50% of what they were cap capable of. So over about 150% of what they were actually capable of, while females would exaggerate by only about 5 to 7%. Males are more likely to overestimate in their own abilities. Number six, females have a dramatically better sense of smell. And this isn't just aromas and essential oils, all right? It's not just that. It's the capacity through the sense of smell to pick up hormones that men can't, which is why females can smell things like fear. They don't know what's going on, but they just get a gut instinct. Because they can smell much better than men. Number seven. This is so, ladies, this should promote a little bit of grace when you argue with your husbands. Um, women use both sides of their brains when they respond to emotional experiences, while men only use one. <laughs> all right, so when, when your husband gets upset and acts like a fool, he is really half-brained, all right? He really is. That's like he's only using half his brain at that moment. All right? Don't use that as an excuse, though. All right? Number eight, in general, in general, men thrive in conflict and women avoid it. Now, we know there are exceptions to all of the rules based on statistical studies and qualitative analysis. Men typically thrive in conflict. Women will avoid it. Number nine. Men, because of that sight issue that men are much more driven by what they see, men are more likely to fall in love at first sight. And lastly, this is my, my favorite one. A woman's brain is more flexible than a man's. 
what they found is that during pregnancy, that there are cells that exist in the cerebral cortex of your brain that during pregnancy will literally rewire your brain to respond to alerts and stimuli. The, the brain, or, or the, the study called it mommy brain, that during, during that nine months, the, the brain will literally rewire itself. I mean, men and, and women are, are functionally, biologically different. In the Bible, opens up with that premise and continues to teach us throughout the scriptures from that background. It's really how if we don't read the Bible from that way, we miss some of what the Bible is saying to us. And so I want to take you to a passage. This is in the book of Titus. Titus is a young pastor. The Apostle Paul was his mentor. And he is away from the Apostle Paul. And he's writing him a letter to encourage him and give him some correction. And in that letter, he says this. And it shows us the differences, some of what we've been talking about. Look at this. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and to be worthy of respect. In other words, they're respected, but teach them to act worthy of the respect that they're given and to live wisely. In other words, they have wisdom, but they need to live with the wisdom. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. How many of y'all know that he's sitting there saying, like, listen, There's a struggle here. I want you to teach these guys. Why? Because the older we get, the more we know, the more impatient we get with people who don't know what we know. Teach them to be patient. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others. They must not gossip. Tell them not to gossip. And they must not be heavy drinkers. Sorry, y'all. Instead, they should teach others what is good. They must not gossip and be heavy drinkers. In other words, the older ladies, they got some time. The kids are out of the house. They're not raising kids anymore. They get to hang out with each other. Teach them that when they have their free time, not to use it to gossip about other people and not to get wasted. (laughs) Instead, all right, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And to live wisely and be pure and work in their homes. Can I, I just want to stop there, okay? All right. There, there are things that appear in Scripture that are sociological and theological all at the same time. All right? Sociology, kind of regarding how we relationally are put together theologically regarding the eternal truth of God. All right? This, this is one of the most... I think misunderstood and misapplied principles that appears in scripture, but it's important to get, okay? Teach them to work in their homes. See, a lot of times that is interpreted to mean women should not work outside of the home. All right, I want you to understand my wife works. She's a teacher. Uh, we, m- like most families, wouldn't be able to make it without two incomes. We wouldn't have Vortex Church if it wouldn't have been for her supporting me for the first two years of this because I didn't make any money doing this at all, okay? So I'm very thankful for the fact that my wife has a career outside of the home and it's been a blessing for us, all right? 
It's, but it's, that's not the theological truth. That, that's the sociological application of the theological truth, which is that women are designed to have a homeward orientation. A homeward orientation. That their hearts are oriented towards their homes. And I, I want to just say that I am very thankful that coming out of the, the, the 90s and the 80s when, when there was this mass push to have women executives and women were climbing the corporate ladder and working all kinds of hours and sacrificing their families for their business careers, it, I'm very thankful that we live in a world where there are women who are leading, who give us this example. A great example is Sheryl Sandberg, who's the CFO of Facebook, Okay. She, she wrote this beautiful book called Lean Into It and basically said there's always going to be a tension between your home and your career. Here's the thing. Don't run from the tension. Lean into it. She told Mark Zuckerberg, I am leaving every day at 5 o'clock. If the work's not done, I don't care. I'm leaving. I'm leaving at 5 o'clock because here's what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to go get my kids. I'm going to take them home, and we're going to have supper together as a family. And I'm going to cook most days. Right? Homeward orientation. Right? Teach them to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Now, I love the fact that uh, there's like 15 things for young women to learn and only one for guys. Right? <laughs> it's just talking about our capacity of what we can learn, all right? Just live wise. If you could just get them to live wisely, you've won, all right? Teach, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by good works of every kind, letting everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So out of this, there's a few things I see. Number one, the scriptures show us that there are differences, different strengths and struggles for men and women. There are different strengths and struggles for men and women. There are. In the nature that is a complement between the two, there are different strengths and different struggles. And number two, there are also different responsibilities and authority for men and women. There's... In our lives, there are things, especially in our families, there are things that a man is responsible for and a woman is responsible for, and that they have authority over. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the next two weeks and kind of examine those specifically. Next week, we're going to look at women, and I'm pretty excited because my friend Debbie Baston is going to be here to speak. Now, you probably don't know Debbie. She's not like a world-famous um, speaker or anything like that, but she, she wrote this blog uh, called Don't Be a Butthole Wife, and, um, and it went viral, okay, because she, in that, shared her story, and it was unbelievably powerful, and um, so she's going to be here next week uh, basically to share her story and share some principles on the heart of a woman. I promise you, you don't want to miss that. And then the next week after that, week three in the series, is my uh, turn to kind of go after the guys. And then uh, the last week, we're going to talk about how they work together, how those two complementary natures work together. So today, kind of to set the stage, we're going to talk about 
the compliment. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but how many of you would just say it's hard for you to embrace a compliment? Raise your hand if that's you. Somebody gives you a compliment, it's just hard. I, they go, you're looking good today. I, and all, I'm, I'm always thinking, what I look, what I look like yesterday? I mean, what, what do I normally look like? I mean, is it, is it this? I mean, just clothes? That's all it took for that? That's all it was? Right? I think sometimes, really, the problem with compliments is that for there to be a compliment leveraged, it means something is different. It means something about you is different. And I think that sometimes the thing in our heart that pushes back against compliments is that we're different. Oh, that means I'm different. I don't want that. I don't want to be different. But we need to learn to embrace the compliment. So the first thing that I would tell you today is that we must refuse to confuse equality with sameness. We must refuse to confuse equality with sameness. Now, again, I want to stop and just say this. We believe that God loves men and women equally, that God has gifted men and women equally to lead in his kingdom and to make a difference in lives. We believe that culturally, men and women should have equal rights, should both be allowed to vote, that if a woman does a man's job and a man does a woman's job, that there should be equal pay, all right? That there, we believe in equality, okay? But equality does not mean sameness. And culturally, we've allowed it to become that. And when we allow equality to become sameness, what happens is we start to downplay the differences. We really must learn to embrace that at their core, men and women are designed by God to be fundamentally different. And how about this? Let's just choose to be thankful for it. I don't know if you're in here, you probably want to be thankful that your spouse is different than you, right? I don't want to be married to a carbon copy of me at all. I don't, I don't want another me running around. I'm thankful that my wife looks different than I do, acts different than I do. I'm thankful for the differences. So number two, we must embrace the complement of the God-given natures between men and women. We must embrace the compliment, which kind of means that when you put it together, it creates a whole. It doesn't seem to logically make sense that one plus one equals one, but that's the way it works, which is why I think in Ephesians 5, when it describes marriage, it says the two will come together and the two will be as one. That the two natures will reflect the one nature of God. And see, the thing about each of those natures is that there are strengths and liabilities that come with each of those. There are strengths and liabilities that come with each of them. Now, the thing about it is, is that, guys, if you're in here, you, you, you may not like the fact that when your wife comes home and you ask her, How'd your day go? She just starts crying. You have no idea what's going on. She's just sitting there crying. Ten minutes later, she's still crying. 
15 minutes into it, she's still crying, just looking at you and sobbing. And she finally starts talking. Then 45 minutes later, she hadn't stopped talking. You can't even talk yet, right? By now, you're so frustrated and upset, you want to go punch somebody, right? She's just emotionally just unloaded on you, right? Sometimes that's frustrating if you're a guy. But it's also nice when you get the man flu, right? And you, you're not really sick, but you're sick, and she's there to take care of you, right? And she's there to care about you, and she brings you breakfast in bed and makes you coffee, and she nurtures you and emotionally is there for you when you've had your lowest and worst moments, right? We don't, we don't like the one side, but we love the other side. Ladies, some of you absolutely hate the part in your husband that at times he's aggressive. Maybe it's during that football game, right? He gets up, starts shouting at the TV, throws things, all right? Maybe even occasionally during an argument, he gets a little aggressive, starts yelling. You don't like that, and I understand that. That's not an excuse for that to kind of surface during an argument. But there is something in there that is designed in him that causes him to be a little aggressive because in the middle of the night, I promise you, when you hear that window shatter across the house and he's the one that gets out of bed and runs towards the trouble, you're awfully thankful that he's the aggressive one. See, there's tensions and liabilities that come with each one. So, Number three, we must learn to celebrate the differences rather than minimize them. We must learn to celebrate the differences rather than minimize them. How about this? Instead of complaining about how your spouse is different than you, why don't you start celebrating it? Instead of complaining about it, start celebrating. Start being thankful that they're different than you are. Wives, at times when you see your husband getting a little jacked up over a football game, just sit back and go, God, thank you for giving me a man that will get that jacked up over a football game. Because he also gets that jacked up over protecting me and our kids, and I'm so thankful for that. So thank you, God. And maybe... Husbands, if you're here, and your wife's that, that crying mess when she comes home after a, a bad day, just doesn't even know what to do with all the emotions that she's feeling. Maybe in your heart you can look at her and go, God, thank you. Thank you for a woman that feels so deeply, that has been there for me when I needed her to care for me deeply. She's never failed me. She's always been there to encourage me and give me, give me up when I'm feeling down. God, thank you for that. Maybe we could just learn to celebrate the differences that exist instead of minimizing this. So what if, think about this with me, what, what if we accepted that God made us with a specific design as men and women? What if we just accepted that finally? Stop pushing back against the idea. Stop running from the idea. Just accepted it. Just said, okay, 
God, you made me that way. It is the fundamental basis of Scripture. Scripture proceeds that way with a fundamental understanding. I love Psalm 139. Read it with that understanding. Look at this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, God made you. And God made you man and woman. So what if we found that living that God-designed heart out was the most fulfilling life that's possible? What if we found out that actually embracing the heart that is designed for a man and a woman is, is the most fulfilling life that could possibly even be lived. So I love this verse out of Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, notice that that's not inverted. That he will give you the desires of your heart and then you will take delight in him. That's not how the scripture presents that. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of that. It's that when we finally get to the place where he is the desires of our heart, he will give us what we desire. And what do we desire at that point? We desire him. And to be who he wants us to be. And to live the life that he designed for us to live. When we get to the point that we can do that, Life becomes fulfilling. You see, our culture has a lot to say about what it means to be sexy. There's a lot of clothes that promise to make you sexy. Some pills that promise to make you sexy. Workout routines that promise to make you sexy. Makeup that promises to make you sexy. But what about this? What if we made the decision to pursue being sexy on the inside? To becoming fully alive to the nature that God embedded inside of you. What if we made that the ultimate goal? Here's what would happen you would open the door to the most fulfilling life and the most fulfilling relationships that you've ever had when you finally embrace the way God made you to live. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.